full of stories that Jesus told, parables, and uh, we haven't really spent much time in many of them at all. But uh, in between a, uh, a hard couple sermons on anxiety, fear, and uh, exclusivity, if you will, and before a much-promised and well-anticipated sermon on hell, which is coming up next week. I know some of you are very anxious, can't wait. Um, anyway, uh, I, I wanted to do a little mini-series on the heart of the Father, what God is like. And uh, when I say Father... It's really hard for us to separate that abstractly from our own fathers. And, and so uh, that, that image, that portrayal will bring in characteristics from your life, um, for good or bad. But when I say father, what qualities come to mind? And uh, as those qualities click through your mind, what about these? Joy. Generosity. Gentleness, patience. Some of you think, well, maybe not my daddy. Well, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Quiet and sullen. Is that patience? Um, but, but we see these qualities of the Father on full display in our text tonight. Luke 15, I'm going to read the whole account, not all of Luke, but most of the story, starting in verse 1, then we'll skip to verse 11. So feel free to follow along up there. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that being Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Skip over to verse 11. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. He divided his property between them, and not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me.
Father, we thank you for the gift of the Word. Thank you for these students who've taken uh, an hour out of their busy week. Uh, Be kind to meet with us. Show us uh, wonderful things in your law. Sharpen our minds. Soften our hearts. If there's good news to be had in this world, we believe it's here. Show it to us. Press it into our hearts, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, according to my calculations... After he mentored Obi-Wan Kenobi, and after he mentored Batman, he was a father. And he said these words, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I'll not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. And I will find you. And I will kill you. And then later in the movie, if you've seen it, Taken, which is now like in this fourth... How does this guy keep losing daughters? It's like number number four is coming up. He's really good at finding them, but he just can't keep them. Um... Later in the movie, uh, as he's tracking down bad guy after bad guy, he's about to, to, to put one guy away. This bad guy's pleading for his life. We can resolve this. I know how you feel. We should talk. We can work this out. Please understand it was all business. It wasn't personal. And as Liam Neeson puts five bullets in him, he says, it was all personal to me. Well, who doesn't want a dad like that? <laughs> you, know, you know, well, maybe not exactly like that, but we'll travel the world over and, uh, and beat 150 guys in close hand-to-hand combat, if necessary, in order to bring you home, in order to bring you back. But what if, what if the person who took you away in the first place was you? Our story gives us two sons, both of whom are distant from the father. Neither one of them was taken away. Both of them are distant from their father because they have hearts that carried them away. Last week we followed the the travails of the runaway son who took all his father's stuff and packed it up in a U-Haul and set off for Vegas and blew it all. This week we stay at home with the good boy who decides to stay home on the farm and work hard. But it's clear in this story that he's every bit as distant from his daddy as his runaway brother. In other words, we're going to see today in this older son that you can know a lot about the father. You can do a lot for him and still have a heart that's very, very far from God. The good news here is God is a father. He's a father who wants his sons to want him, not slaves who work for him. He doesn't want slaves that work for him. He wants sons who love him. So, uh, fastidious note takers, here's your outline. A performer's heart, a failure to love, and the father's heart. Well, the the performer's heart. Uh, Our story... 
this part of the story, halfway through, starts off with a party. And uh, the, the younger sons return home. And in verse 25, the thing is getting going. The older son's coming in from the fields. He's probably something like a foreman. He's in charge. He's one of the last guys back. He hears the party. You know, he hears the music and the dancing. He calls, he asks for an explanation. And uh, I can imagine this worker trying to, you know, more likely than not, he, the worker probably knows what kind of son this is. And doesn't know how to recount the news. Doesn't know if he'll be happy or sad or not. So maybe he's being reserved. But this is good news. Your brother's coming back. There's a party. And the text tells us that he's angry. Verse 28 he was angry. Yeah. He's been on the field working all day? Hangry? Uh, no, no. He was, he was, he was really angry. The, beneath the anger, as always, there's always something underneath the anger. There's more. And, uh, and you, as you read, as, we, as he talks, you, you first get a, you get a sense of the bitterness. The bitterness. Many years I've served you, never disobeyed you. You can hear the bitterness in his voice. He's bitter, it seems, because he's convinced that he's getting a a raw deal, that he deserves better, that he's earned more. And uh, he's really disappointed in the way his younger brother's being treated. He's bitter that this son is being given such a great party, but he deserves more. Where does this expectation come from, though? Where do you get this expectation that you deserve more? Well, the heart of a performer's heart. He's a performer. In the core of his heart, his belief, is that he has towed the line like he's supposed to. He's, he's done his job. He's listened. He's followed the rules. He's crossed his T's and dotted his I's. He's kept all the rules. He's proud of it. I've done everything you've said. I've kept all the rules. He's proud. He's proud of it. He knows it and he's proud of it. He can't help but be proud of it. I've done everything you've said. And he also, because pride is essentially competitive and comparative, he also can't help comparing himself to others. Unlike that brother of mine, that son of yours, so much better than him. That's the way a performer's heart works. Not only do I have to be good, not only do I have to keep the rules, I have to be better than others. And I am. I have a better than book. Maybe I don't write it down, but it's in here. And it's always adding new lines of information of how I'm better than others. There's a number of problems with his way of life, his mentality, his better than book. The first problem is it stinks. Like literally, I can smell it and it smells like death. It stinks. Uh, I'm not being mean. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, There's an aroma of life that comes from the gospel. It's a sweet smell. It attracts people. But there's a way of living according to the law that smells like death. It's unattractive. And this guy stinks. Who wants to be with this guy? He's the biggest party pooper ever. Who wants to be with this guy? And so, as a sniff test, you can ask people, If you're brave enough, if you have an honest friend who'll tell you, you can ask them. No, not how I smell. Ask them, how do I come across? You can ask them, how do I come across? And then, after they give you an answer, you have to promise them beforehand, I will not debate you, I will not say a word, I'll just shut up and take it. Because 
if you're the kind of person that's like this, they'll be afraid to give you a true answer because they know you will then argue them in the ground because they know you think you're better than them. <laughs> See how that works? So you have to literally promise them, like, you can give me the true answer and I will shut up and just walk away with it. The sniff test. How do I come across? That's the one problem. A second problem, not only does he fail the sniff test, he, he fails the sight test. This kid is blind. He's blind in a couple different ways. He's blind to his own desires. You know, uh, he, he can't help but make clear what he wants. And his complaint and his bitterness to the father, hey, you, you haven't even given me a goat for a party with my friends. You want a party? Second thing out of his mouth, this son of mine who, uh, you know, wasted his... Wasted your whole estate on prostitutes. Well, so far in the first couple of sentences, son, you talked about parties and prostitutes. Is that what you think about all day in the field? Actually, probably yes. Actually, you probably do think about parties and prostitutes out in the field. More likely than not, this older son who keeps all the rules wants the same things his younger brother wants. He just doesn't know it. Sneaks out in this conversation. He thinks about it. No, he doesn't go out to all the parties and get all the girls drunk and bed them all and keep a list. But he wishes he did. Thinks about it. You know, maybe he had like the, the uh, 30 AD version of pornography somewhere under his mattress. I don't know what that would have been. <laughs> I really don't know. But more likely than not, that's the older brother. Uh, that's just being honest. He's blind to his own desires. This is what people are like. 2010, this couple named Pavel and Ola, who grew up in Warsaw, Poland, after they got married, they got heavily involved in a violent uh, neo-Nazi movement. Ola had this really troubling hunch. And so she went and checked at the Poland Jewish Historical Institute. And there she learned that she was Jewish. And so was her husband. They went out and beat up Jews for fun. And now they learned that they were what they hated. Do you understand? That's what his older brother's like. He wants the same things his son, his, his brother wants. He wants the father's stuff, a party, freedom, stuff, but not the father. Just like the younger son. They want the same thing. He doesn't see his own desires. He's blind also to his own failures. Many years I've served you, never disobeyed. There might be a sense in which, that, in which that is sort of true. But he's guilty in at least two really clear ways right off the top of the bat. Like, right off the top of the bat. There's no top of the bat. Top of the list. Whatever. Anyway, uh, one is Pride. It's just oozing out. It's what causes all this bitterness. And uh, you can't read through the Bible for very long before you will come across one of the many, many, many statements where it says something like, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He is guilty of the thing that's the biggest guilt, really. He's prideful. But there's another list in the Bible that's really clear about God's commands and what He desires called the Ten Commandments. And by my reckoning... As a pastor theologian, I think this kid breaks five commandments in 50 words or less. Like, he says about 50 words in this, and I'm pretty sure he breaks five commandments. One of them's a bit iffy, but I'm pretty sure that commandment not to have any other gods before 
father. He, he breaks. He actually loves himself more than he loves his own father, which means he loves himself and what he wants more than he loves God the Father. Honor father and mother. No, he actually humiliates his father. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, if I'm right that he's out there dreaming about prostitutes, and I think it's pretty reasonable that he is, uh, that's called adultery. Um, going on, he slanders his younger brother without any information. We actually don't know that he's squandered his living in prostitutes. How did you find that out? You don't know for sure. That's called impugning someone's reputation. You broke the ninth commandment. You bore false witness. Ten, coveting. You're not content. You want a party? You, you, want, you want stuff? You want all the father's stuff and not the father. It's called coveting. Five commandments broken in 50 words. That, my friend, is called being efficient. It's being efficient. Completely blind to his own failure, to his own heart. And the worst thing is he's actually blind to the failure of the whole I-can-work-forward enterprise. Doomed to fail. Pastor friend of mine in RUF named Steve McGinnis shared this illustration a couple years ago. Uh, two years ago was the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, most well-known death camp in Nazi-occupied Europe. 1.1 million people died there. What a lot of people don't know is that over top of the gate, the entrance and the exit, if anyone ever left, which no one ever did, uh, of, of the camp, there was a sign, it's still there, that read, Work makes you free. Think about that. Think about being a prisoner there. Work makes you free. Has there ever been a bigger lie in the 20th century than that? Really? Consider the irony of that. Work makes you free. And no one got out of there, no matter how much they worked. And that's a really great picture of this whole I-can-work-forward enterprise. The biggest lie of human history is that we can make our relationship right with the Father. We can make our hearts right if we just work harder. If we just do it. If we just perform. And there is absolutely no way to fix what's wrong with our hearts and what's wrong with our relationship with the Father by working harder. Cannot be done. It's just not possible. We are like this guy to varying degrees. But as I described them, is that that you? I know you don't want to put that dress on. I know you don't want to see if it fits. Are you the dutiful performer, the rule keeper? You got a better book up here somewhere? You're always revising? It's not going to work for you. It's not what Christianity is. It's actually not what God expects. And just like the older brother, we have all these ugly things in our heart. Bitterness, this better-than-you attitude, blind to our own sin. And I tell you, friends, you probably got the stink, too. But, there's a worse problem. You're like, yeah, I'd be kidding, it gets worse? Yeah, it actually does. Um, There's a failure to love. Not only is your heart full of all these things that you wish weren't there, but there's a failure to love. You, you see it in, in the failure to love the Father. He's angry and he refuses to go in. This is a deeply disrespectful act. Okay, The Father is throwing this huge party for the whole town because the most amazing reclamation, restoration thing ever has happened. This son who seemed to be dead has come back. It's a huge party. The older son is expected to co-host, to help throw the party, and instead he's being a jerk. 
out there humiliating the father. You have to have to leave the party and go out and deal with this 12-year-old brat who's not a 12-year-old brat. He's a grown man acting like a 12-year-old brat. Humiliating the father. Deeply disrespectful. Publicly refusing to come in with this disrespectful attitude. Look. Look. Doesn't even say dad. Doesn't say father. Just look. Many years I've served you. Doesn't care about the relationship. Doesn't care about his father's honor. Doesn't care about the special occasion. Just disrespect. And the way he talks about the way he's worked there is just, it's it's this loveless service. I've served you for many years. I thought this was our farm. I've already given you your part of the estate. We share this together, son. He says it. Everything I have is yours. No, he's got the mentality of a slave. I have slaved you and served you for many years. It's this loveless service, working like a slave for what he's due. He wants what he wants. He wants He wants a party. What do I want? I want to go and have a party with my friends. You know who's not invited to the party? Who's not invited to the, who's not invited to the party? Father's not invited to the party. I want to go have a party with my friends. Father's not invited. He wants the father's things. He doesn't want the father. He's just like his little brother. Only his little brother left home. He's a little bit more messy. This guy decided, I'll take a different tact. I'll get the same things he does. I'll just work for it instead. And I'll look better than him in the process. Some people, this is both religious people and non-religious people, reason, hey, listen, I'm a good person, and that's all that matters. If I'm good enough, God will be pleased with me, and he'll grade on a curve, and everything will be all right. This example is from Pastor Tim Keller. He asks us to imagine there's a very old, poor widow. She has one son. And as he grows up, she teaches him how to live. Teaches what's important to her. Always tell the truth. Help the poor. Keep your promises. Work hard. And the son listens. He's dutiful. He's faithful. So she sends him off to college with a little bit of money she saved. And he moves away and he graduates. And as the years go by, he does all those things. He, he tells the truth and he helps the poor and he keeps his promises and he works hard. But he never calls. He never visits. Never says thank you. Never says I love you. What do you think? Is he alright? Is he a good son? You should be angry, right? Shouldn't you be angry at the son? He's a terrible son. This mother's given everything, right? He's not a good son. Being good enough is not good enough. You have to to love the Father. God's made it really clear what He wants from us, from all of us. Love God with your whole heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all that matters. And He fails. He fails to love the Father. It's what matters. And He fails to love His brother. Uh, you know, we, we've seen this in some, in some ways. Verse 30, He assumes the very worst of His brother. He's been out there destroying your property with the prostitutes. How do you know that? You're just assuming the word. You, maybe He did, but maybe He burned it all at Chuck E. Cheese. Like I said last week, you just don't know. He's clearly a knucklehead. We just don't know what variation of a knucklehead He is. But you're assuming the worst about Him. And, uh, and then you, you know, not only assumes the worst, but He distances Himself from His brother. He wouldn't even call Him brother. You see that? This son of yours... 
Man, it sounds like he despises him. Hates his brother. Don't know if it's true or not, but I think it is safe to say, at the very least, he literally could not care less. Safe to say? He could not care less at his brother's home. I'm not going to go in there. It's a big party. Oh, that's great. You go right ahead. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not going in there. He doesn't care that his brother... He, he can stay dead and lost for all I care. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Penn from Penn and Teller, this is really thoughtful, intelligent comedy group. Uh, he's a well-known atheist. He, he made this really surprising remark in an interview. And uh, it's surprising because of what he's about to say. And this will be a little jarring for almost everyone. Again, he's an atheist. That means he thinks I'm stupid. Um, but I get that. I'm used to that. Anyway, he says in this interview, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That is, do evangelism. I don't respect Christians who don't share their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever it is that you think, and you think it's really not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? Literally, how much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Listen, I'm not trying to guilt, manipulate you, or beat you up for not doing street evangelism. That's not my goal at all. But here is an atheist who I think gets it in this regard. If you're a Christian, and loving people is really important, and telling them that there's life out there is really important, and you can't get over yourself enough to tell them the good news and love them, I don't respect you. His words. Do you love people? Do you love anyone? Do you love anyone who doesn't do you good? Like where it's not in your best interest to love them. I love this person. This person. Well, yeah, you know, they're your friends with the party with the goat. But I mean, do you love anyone that's actually hard, sacrificially, for their own good? Do you have any messy younger brothers that you have every right to be really angry at? That you love anyway. Because this is a sign, a really important one, that you actually have a heart that understands what the Father is like. That the Father does not want slaves. That the Father wants sons who want Him and love Him. And as the Bible makes clear, as John makes clear in 1 John, if you don't love your brothers that you can see, there's no way you can love a Father that you can't see. The good news here, and there's lots of good news, although I've been talking forever and I'm going to make this really short, is that we have the Father's heart right here on display. And it's the best news there could possibly be for us. But there are two kinds of people in this world, and frankly, we're both. We're, there are people that uh, want the Father's stuff, but not the Father, and so they take it and run off to Vegas, and they're messy. And you see that played out here on campus all the time. And there are those who want the Father's stuff and not the Father and work really hard to put God in their debt and they're bitter when they don't get it, but they think they're better than everyone else, so they're going to get it. They pretty much all want the same kind of stuff. Most of us are both at the same time. We have a father who wants both those boys back home. He wants both those kids to come home. And he's willing to do anything he can to bring them back in. 
He pursues his son, just like he pursued the younger son, through the streets of town to his utter embarrassment and humiliation. Here he does the same thing. There's a party. The whole town's there. This is an unheard of party occasion. And you got this idiot son outside throwing a pity party. And what does he do? He pursues him. He goes out there and talks to him. He goes out there and talks to him. This is For the second time in one day, this father does something that no other father in the entire ancient Near East would have ever done. Go out, bear the humiliation on himself to pursue a hard-hearted son that's embarrassing him. And as he does so, and as he talks with him, he's passing over. He's not giving his son what he wants. What the son wants is to be treated as he deserves. That's what he wants. Give me what's due me. I've been working hard for you. Give me what's due. Well, son, what's due to you is for me to kick you out of here. You're a hard-hearted punk who doesn't love me. You just want my stuff, and now you're embarrassing me. I should kick you out of here. He doesn't give the son what he wants. He passes over it. And the son's humiliating him. And he doesn't bring it up. Instead, he pleads with him. Patiently pleads with him. Verse 28, he entreats him. You know, he could, he could have ordered this boy. He could have just laid it down. Because this kid's good at taking rules. I'll take command. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. He's a dutiful law keeper. His problem is he can't love. And the only way to get this son back is to love him. And so he goes out and he pleads with them. It's the only chance of reclaiming this son. Well, if you notice what happens next, what happens next? It's a big, giant question mark, right? Really? How does this thing end? Son, it was fitting that we throw this party. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and found. Period. The end. And I would put it in parentheses. Big fat question mark. Does he go in? Does he stay out? Does he ruin the party? What happens? And I think that's the whole point. You see, Jesus wants us right now to stop and say, Am I in the party or am I out? Am I the little brother or the big brother? Do I want the father's stuff? Do I want the father? Do I see that it's fitting that I have a hard heart that's distant from the father one way or the other? And that the only way, the only way I get into that party is by grace. The only way I get into that party is I have a father who runs down, runs me down, comes after me, not with bullets, not with fists, not with threats, but runs after me to bring me back and is willing to give up not his own life but the life of his own son Jesus willingly gives up the perfect son who never left home because he wanted things more than the father the own son the own perfect son gives up his own life to bring us back in until you till I really understand that that's the only way in that trying to seize it, trying to work for it, trying to just enjoy it, apart from the Father, until you see that the only way we get into the party is only completely by the Father's grace, you're outside the party. It's still just a big question mark. But it's open. We have a Father that ran all the way out for us, and a Son that came all the way down for us and gave His life for us, so we can come into the party. All right, let me pray.
Good Father, we thank you for your kindness that uh, 